good morning, church. Good morning. How are we doing today? We doing okay? Yeah. Well, welcome. We welcome you here today. I wanted to start off a little differently today um, than we might normally do. Uh, in Philippians 4, 6, uh, it talks about not being anxious for anything, right? But in every situation, by prayer and petition, make our requests known to God and do that with thanksgiving. It talks about that. And there's a promise that comes with that. Um, after that, it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, uh, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And I think sometimes we have a tendency to forget that we have this access to the Lord. Uh, and we tend to carry the burden ourselves of solving a problem or figuring something out. And we forget. And I think even in this season, many of us had kind of forgotten, you know, hey, you know, in the season of COVID, we, we have a God who we can take things to he will listen and he will carry those burdens for us so we do not have to carry those. We can have peace, right? So I wanted to start with this old song that's uh, an old hymn that uh, should be familiar with to, to most of us uh, that you might have grown up singing, but it really states this really well. It goes like this. And what a friend we have in
God, we would pray that you would help us in these days to grab a hold of that truth. That this is not all that there is, even though sometimes it feels like it. In many ways, we, we recognize that all that we see around us is we've been conditioned and it's all we know. God, I would pray that you'd help us to live in light of what your son has done. I pray that you'd help us to desire a relationship with your son so that he can illuminate us so that we can be a light shining in the darkness. We know that darkness is not getting brighter, it's getting darker. So God, I would pray that you'd help us to be a witness for you. I pray that you'd help us to be ministers of, of good news uh, to the world and to the people around us. And we know that you have placed us in particular circles of friends and coworkers, schoolmates, whatever it is that you might use us. So I pray that you'd help us to be ready to walk into the works that you have for us even this week. Pray now that you would help us as we look into your word. May we be changed by it. And I pray that we would open ourselves and allow ourselves to be changed by you. In Christ's name, amen. Well, good morning, church. It is so good to be with you. And uh, I wanted to just take a moment to say thank you for being here. If you're a first-time guest, man, we are so thankful that you would come and worship with us and uh, we are a church that loves to invite people who maybe are new to the area or new to Jesus to come in and worship with us. So we're super glad that you're here. And if you're joining us online, we want to say thank you for watching. 
And uh, we're hopeful that this morning you're going to hear clearly from God's word and that every time we look, turn our attention to God's word, that it has the ability to stir us in an eternal way. Do you believe that's true? Man, I hope you do. Hey, I wonder if you've ever had this experience. I know that I've had it multiple times. It's when you learn something or experience something for the first time, and then you begin to see it all over the place. I know that uh, there's been a couple of times where uh, I've had to rent a car, and maybe it's a car that I, I've never driven before, I've never been familiar with it, and I, I start driving that rental car around, and then I start to notice that kind of car all over the place. Has that ever happened to you? I was actually on a walk last night with my wife, and I was telling her about this, and I, I'm like, there has to be a name for that, and there is. It's called the Bader-Meinhof Phenomenon. Uh, it's known as a frequency illusion, and so when you've seen something, maybe for the first time or had an experience, you begin to see that thing all over but it doesn't mean that that thing has just all of a sudden appeared. It's been there right in front of you the whole time, and you just haven't noticed it. Uh, this morning, we're going to talk about what it means to be in union with Christ. And this has been something that I have been thinking about and studying over the last couple of months, been doing some reading on this topic and what's interesting is that this idea of the Bader-Meinhof phenomenon has kind of been my experience with the union with Christ. This idea is actually seen throughout the New Testament. It's seen throughout the scriptures. This idea of being in Christ, with Christ, through Christ. Uh, one author said this, that Once you have your eyes open to the concept of union with Christ, you will find it almost everywhere in the New Testament. And I believe that's true. I found that very true for me. One of the things that you might not know is that this idea of being in union with Christ or being in Christ was actually Paul's preferred method of describing someone who claimed to have a relationship with Jesus. Do you know that only three times do we find in the New Testament a reference to the word Christian? And yet over 160 times you will see a description of those who are following Christ as being in him. It's everywhere. I challenge you this week to just flip through to your favorite New Testament passage and see how long it takes before you see a, a reference to those being, uh, following Jesus of being in Christ. Our text this morning is going to highlight what this means. And I, I wanted to spend a few moments hopefully stirring your attention and your affection for what it means to be in Christ. Perhaps this morning you have joined us and you do not have a relationship with Jesus. Perhaps you're not really familiar with what the Bible says, and this might be the first time you've ever heard of the idea of being unified with Christ, and you're asking yourself, what does that mean? This message this morning has something for you. Perhaps, though, you've been a believer for decades. Maybe you don't remember a time in your life where you've not said, I'm a Christian, I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And yet this idea, if you're like me, probably has been in the pages and you're so familiar with it that it's easily overlooked and the depth of what is meant by it, what it expresses, what it communicates to us has just completely flown past you and you haven't picked it up. And perhaps this morning, God wants to use this message to reacquaint you with this idea. If that's you, I believe that there's something in this message this morning. Now, there are all kinds of texts that we could have looked at this morning to talk about union with Christ. And actually, this concept, this idea, 
uh, is not, we're not going to see the word union with Christ in our message today. We're going to see the word in him, in Christ, through Christ, through the beloved one. We're going to see that. But there are all kinds of passages we could have picked. But I wanted to pick Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. So if you have a copy of God's word, I want to invite you to take it out and, and find that with me in the New Testament. Because in these first 14 verses... Paul is going to use this reference of being in Christ 11 times. In fact, in his letter to the Ephesians, Paul uses this, this idea of being in Christ or one of its variations with Christ or through Christ or into Christ 27 times. And so as you're finding your way to Ephesians chapter 1, I, I want to answer maybe one of the most obvious questions in the room right now. Why would Paul use this term so frequently? Why would it be his preferred description for those who call themselves a Christian? Those who claim to believe in Jesus? Those who say, I want to follow after him. Why would he use this idea of being in Christ so frequently? Well, I believe it's because union with Christ is that thing that changed Paul's life completely. It's actually the union with Christ that is the difference. I don't think that when Paul wrote these letters that so much great theology and doctrine has been written about. I don't believe that when Paul set out to write these letters, he was setting out to write a theological textbook. And if you've done any study in theology, you know theological textbooks are huge works. And they'll take a letter like Ephesians that has six chapters and they will write hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of pages of the doctrine and the theology that is in that letter. And it's true. There's so much more than Paul even knew he was writing because why? He was writing under the power of the Holy Spirit. These were God's inspired words. And because they're from God, the, the depth of knowledge, the depth of truth that's revealed is much greater than what we even see in the simple lines. There's so much we can study and take away from that. But what I want us to see, and that's what I want us to remember, is that when Paul is writing, he's writing to a group of people that he loves. We've been studying the book of Acts, and we, we just read through the section of Acts where Paul made his first journey to Ephesus, and he starts a church there. He leads people to Christ, and then he plants a church, and he, and he raises up elders, and he raises up leaders to lead that church. These were people he knew. This was an area he was familiar with. And so when he is writing, I don't think he's writing to try to get them all lined out with every theological doctrine that they needed to know. I think he wants to share with them what is just flowing out of him is this union with Jesus. This was Paul's experience. His experience was the greatest illustration he had for what could happen in a life that was so wayward, so far from what God says is true, what Jesus said he would require of his followers. Paul's life was the greatest illustration of someone so far away and how they could be brought so close that they would be in union with God through no work of their own, but through faith. But for me at least, and I don't know if this is true for you, I think it's easy sometimes being a Christian and thinking of the gospel as something that God has done for me. It's something that has happened outside of me. And I forget that the greatest benefit of the gospel isn't all the benefits that we see in salvation. It's the benefit of actually being in Christ. It's that, it's that union with him. It's that relationship with him. And so Paul's calling was clear. 
His conversion wasn't the result of a religious system or an idea. It was his union with the living Christ that changed everything. And I think that's what we're going to see and we're going to sense as we read these first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1, a text that's familiar to a lot of people. There's a lot of doctrine here. There's a lot of ideas in theology. We're not going to hit everything. We're not going to go deep dive on every single verse. There's lots of works out there that do that. This morning, I just want us to try to capture a glimpse for a moment of why Paul was so emphatically sharing how great it is that we can be unified with Christ. And my desire this morning is to show you that, that this is important, it's, it's, it's impactful, and there are many great benefits that flow out of that great gift from God. So, Let's read our text for this morning. Let's hear from God's word. If you are able, would you please stand with me as we read our passage this morning, Ephesians chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. If you're ready, say ready. Ready. This is the word of the Lord. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed is the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavens in Christ. For he chose us in him before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in love before him. He predestined us to be adopted as sons through Christ Jesus for himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he lavished on us in the beloved one. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he purposed in Christ as a plan for the right time to bring everything together in Christ, both things in heaven and things on earth in him. In him we have also received an inheritance because we are predestined according to the plan of the one who works out everything in agreement with the purpose of his will. So that we who had already put our hope in Christ might bring praise to his glory. In him you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of of his glory. Do you believe that's true? Amen. It is. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father God, if we uh, <clears throat> we come together this morning on a beautiful, sunny, warm morning here in Oregon, and we have taken time to come into this building to gather with other people to hear you speak. So God, I pray that your word would speak clearly, that your Holy Spirit would give us understanding, and that God, no matter what distractions might be trying to vie for our attention, no matter what kind of heavy things we've walked through this week, that we'd be able to, just for the next few moments, focus our attention fully on your word and allow it to stir us, God. God, thank you so much for bringing us here. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. So what does it mean to be in Christ? Did you see all the times he mentioned it? In him, in the beloved, in Christ, in him. 
Paul keeps pointing us back to all these different things. This is actually a great introduction to a letter. It's one complete thought that Paul is writing. He's trying to communicate some amazing truth to us. But what does it mean to be in Christ Jesus? As I mentioned before, there's, there's many, many books and, and, and lectures and sermons on this topic that kind of come up with a defin- all their different definitions. But what I wanted to say this morning is the simplest definition of what it means to be in Christ is this, that I am in Christ through faith, that I am in a relationship with Him. I'm united with Him because I have believed in Him. I have believed in who He said He was. I believe in what He said He did was true. I believe that what the Bible says, that Jesus came, He died on a cross for my sins, was buried and rose again, and that if I believe in Him, my sins will be forgiven and I will be united with Him. I believe that. And because of that belief... I am in him. That's how I'm associated with. I associate with him. I, I, I'm in relationship with him. And what the Bible tells me is that when God the Father looks at me and he, he sees me, he doesn't just see Pete. He sees me in his son. And everything that he thinks about the son, everything he sees in the son, everything that he has given to the son, he now gives to me because I am united with Christ. So I'm in him, but he is in me. The spirit of the living God now has indwelt me. I, I don't live now just kind of doing my own thing based on my own desires. I can do that. But now I have residing inside of me the Holy Spirit. God's spirit who guides me and directs me and is, is leading me as I live my life. Now this isn't just merely a relationship. It's more intimate than that. In Scripture, we see several metaphors used to try to describe what it means to be in Christ. And at one point, uh, Paul even says in another letter, he says, this is a profound mystery. To try to understand what it means that I can be in relationship with God in this spiritual way, and yet I'm still physical, living in a physical world, and yet that spiritual reality that's in my life has so much to do with how I live today is a profound thing. It's not something that maybe is just easy to grasp or easy to understand, but it is that reality that guides me or should guide me in everything I do. Being in Christ, being in relationship with Him, being one with Him should impact my emotions. It should impact my intellect. It should impact my decisions. It should impact my responses every single day. Probably the most well-known metaphor of what it means to be in Christ is a metaphor that Jesus used in John chapter 15 of a vine and its branches. I'm sure many of us are familiar with that. This is just one way that, that Christ was trying to explain to us what it was going to look like for his people to be in relationship with him. It's beautiful outside, right? We're in spring, and you probably have seen some of the cherry blossom trees. This is from our parking lot outside. I I love, I mean, just driving around. Everything is full in bloom. And and I'm not a seasonal allergy sufferer, so I get to enjoy it without any restriction. But just the beauty of these trees and the branches and all the beautiful flowers and the things that are going to be produced in that. But here's the thing that is so important to know, is that those beautiful flowers that come from those beautiful branches... Are, made, are produced through the branch. Those branches are not working independently of that trunk or the root system that's in the ground. Those branches weren't created to create those beautiful flowers that turn into leaves, that turn into fruit. 
No, they were designed and created by God to be an extension of that root system that through those branches, fruit would be produced. And what Jesus is saying is that for those of you who will follow him, those of you who will believe in him, those of you who say, I'm going to build my life upon that relationship, what he is saying is you are not now going to now try to do what you think I want you to do. You have not been created to produce these spiritual qualities in your life, to do good works, to live in a certain way, to teach certain truths. No, you are going to now be in me, connected to me, and through you I will produce things in your life. That is the reality of being in Christ. I have been created not to do things on my own apart from him, but now that I'm reunited with him through faith in Jesus, I now have the ability to be a useful branch again. He can produce life in me. Before him, I was dead in my trespasses and sin. I was like a branch completely severed and cut off. I mean, we're still driving around our area. We see the effects of the ice storm we had several weeks ago. And there are still branches that are hanging off in high parts of trees that are completely broken. Those branches are not going to come back up on their own and start to live again. But for us, even though we've sinned and been broken away from that relationship with our God in Christ. God being the sovereign vine dresser is what it's called, is able to pick us up in our broken condition and actually graft us back into that tree and it begins to heal around us and then there's new life. That life of the Holy Spirit begins to produce in us fruit, not of our works, but of Him. And everything that He begins to do in us is for His glory. In his glory alone. And so Paul describes this unity in Christ in another way. It says in Acts chapter 17, Paul describes union with Christ as this. For in him, there there's that statement again. For in him we live and move and have our being. Is that true for you? Would you say... That your life is defined, described, observed by others as one that is, being, that is living and moving and having its very existence through a union with Jesus. Paul is saying this is available. This is it. This is, this is what we get through faith. This is, this is what he has done through faith. All the benefits of salvation are to allow us to be un- reunited with God. Through his son. Charles Spurgeon said this There is no joy in this world like union with Christ. The more we can feel it, the happier we are. And you can sense this in Paul's opening words to his letters in the Ephesians. So this morning, in the next few minutes, I just want to highlight three benefits from this union. Three things that are available to us that Paul identifies in our text this morning from being in. Christ. And, and my hope this morning is this. I, I just want our affections to be stirred. I, I'm a pastor. I'm a preacher. I'm a teacher. I get the opportunity to, to study this and to teach the God's word. And uh, it, is, it is really easy, if you've been in the faith for any amount of time, to approach the Bible and you, and you kind of study it like a textbook. 
You're looking for doctrine. You're looking for theology. And that's important. That's part of growing in knowledge of who God is. But sometimes I think we need to just step back for a moment and we need to read these letters as letters and to allow the wonder and the awe and the, the exhortation that the author is intending for that original audience to kind of rush over us and to stir us in the same way. Because remember, Ephesus was a place that was, at that time, one of the biggest cities in the world, and it was known as being the hub of idolatry. They worshipped a god called Artemis or Diana. And so this church was not growing up in a place where there was no other religious influences or that it was really socially acceptable to be united with Christ. There was great wealth and co- that came through the commerce of that idolatry. A lot of the Ephesian people had probably grown up and had a, a, a living that they made through the connection with this false God. And now they're saying, we're throwing that aside to follow Christ. And what Paul does in this first chapter as he's writing to his friends in this area is he's saying, I know that you have given up a lot. There's been a lot of stuff laid down to follow Christ, but I just want to remind you of all that he has given you who are in him. And like any good letter, as I'm reading this from a faithful friend, I, it would stir me, it would comfort me, it would encourage me, and I want that for us this morning. So three benefits of the union with Christ. The first one is this. Union with Christ allows us to discover our true identity. You are the truest and best version of yourself when you are united with Christ. There's an idea, I think, that to follow Jesus means that I can't be what I want to be. To follow Jesus means that I'm going to have to maybe accept a lesser view or a lesser kind of uh, fulfillment of my life. But I think what Paul is going to try to get at and what he's trying to communicate to us is that, no, no, you are actually going to experience the fullest version of what God created you to be when you allow him to start to strip away all the effects of that brokenness and sin in your life and you begin to allow him to grow you up to be fully what you were designed to be in union with him. Look again at verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by God's will, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus at Ephesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Note that description there, the faithful saints in Christ Jesus. That word saints is a significant word. We can't just overlook it. It's not just kind of a title or a name. If you think of what a saint is, that word actually means someone who has been set apart from a group. It's where we get the word sanctified. And if you're new to the church, sanctification is a, it's kind of a big word. It's a word we don't use a whole lot. But sanctification is an aspect of what it means as you are in union with Christ. It's that transformation process that begins to take place in your life. The moment you are saved, he begins to transform you to be more like Jesus. He begins to change you from that broken version, even if it's the best version that you could create in your own ability, and he begins to strip that away, all the stuff that you made, to make you up in the power of the Holy Spirit to what he has actually created you to be. And that is far better than any identity or any, any kind of persona you could create on your own. Because he, he designed you, he created you. And so sanctification is, is part of this idea of the word saints. But think about, there, I think there are two things being said here when he identifies these people as saints. 
The first one is that he is it's interesting. He's calling them saints. Saint, a saint was a person that typically had already died. You didn't get to call yourself a saint. There would be a group of people that would come afterwards, and in some religious traditions, they would look at the holiness of a person's life and say, this person lived a really holy life. They did some pretty amazing things, and so they were saintly, and they gave them a designation of a saint. But typically, you were identified as a saint after you died. Paul turns that upside down and says, to the faithful saints in Christ Jesus. What is he saying? How could he identify them as saints? They're still living their life. They're still living as baby believers. They're living in a world that's full of corruption and idolatry. How in the world could he say, you're a saint? It's because in Christ Jesus. Don't miss that. If you mark in your Bible or you mark in your notes, draw a circle around faithful saints in Christ Jesus and make sure there are lines connecting that because you can't have one without the other. In Christ Jesus, everything that God the Father has given to the Son, as we see in the Son that the Son has secured, is applied to us. So how can we be a saint? It's because God has lived the perfect life in His Son. The Son came as God in the flesh, lived that perfect life. He was holy. He was blameless. His life was supernatural and yet fully human. And now because I'm in Christ, I get this new identity through my association with Jesus. You're a saint because you are in Christ. But I think he also calls them saints because of that idea of being set apart. You're taken out of this world where everybody's the same. This whole world is full of brokenness and sin because... It tells us in the word of God that no man in his own desires is ever going to seek after God and ever surrender to what God wants. No, they're going to seek after their own desires, which will always lead them away from God. And what it says is that when we believe in faith, God takes us out of that darkness and he places us into his family. He places us into his light And we are set apart from that. And then that process of now having his spirit in us and we begin to follow him, we begin to study his word, we begin to talk to him and ask him to guide us and say, God, give me new desires and help me to overcome these things that I know are sinful bents that lead me away from you, not closer to you. That is the process of being sanctified. Him slowly taking out that brokenness and that sin and replacing it with newness of life that comes through the spirit in you just like that branch that's grafted back in the tree and those nutrients begin to slowly work their way back through that branch giving it life again and producing fruit that it did not produce on its own so it is the it is a very true statement to say that you will be the truest version of what god created you to be when you are connected to him when you are in him if you try to to live out your life apart from God, if you try to develop your own natural abilities and strengths and your own intellect, you can produce a pretty good life from an earthly standard, but it has no eternal value. And what I'm here to tell you this morning is there's actually a life available to you this morning that is actually worth living, that is is the most truest, purest form of life that God created you to be in Him. In his book on this topic, The Union with Christ, pastor and author Rankin Wilborn describes it like this. Union with Christ gives you a completely new self-understanding found outside of yourself in Christ. Union with Christ gives you a new identity. 
In fact, that's one way to define the Christian faith. Faith is finding your identity in Christ. Against the prevailing mindset of our day, you are what you make yourself of. Union with Christ tells you that you can discover your real self only in relation to the one who made you. You are not, you cannot be self-made. Union with Christ tells you that you can only understand who you are in communion with God and others. And that is wildly countercultural claim. I think we're all searching for that identity. <laughs> this is a big, this is a big debated word. And I don't think there are many people who want to be told that, no, you can't do that, you have to do this. It feels so restrictive to say that somebody else gets to tell me what my identity is, somebody else gets to tell me what I want to do, what I want to choose, what I want to be, what I want to believe. And I would say to that, not just anybody, the one who created you. And he created you to be in union with him, to have communion with him, community with him. But sin broke that apart. But through his son, he can graft you back in like a branch into a tree. He can put you back into union with him and then allow you to experience the fullness of the identity and life that he created you to be before sin. That's what we should be pursuing. Christ, I, I want to be in Christ. I want to know the life that he has planned for me. A life that's way better than any life that I can plan for myself or attain in my own abilities. And that's what Paul keeps saying. That's what Paul's saying here through Ephesians and all his letters. Paul says, I know what it's like to have a life that's pretty successful on my own strengths. I'm throwing that all aside and I'm putting my full focus on knowing the life that Christ has for me in union with him. And that's what our desire should be. First benefit of union with Christ is that it allows us to discover our true identity. But the second benefit we see here in the next section of verses is that union with Christ grants us er access to every spiritual blessing. I want you to hear that. Union with Christ grants you access into a very exclusive set of spiritual blessings. And what I, want, I wanted to add this, I took it out of my notes, but I, I wanted to put today in capital letters with an exclamation point. Every spiritual blessing is available to those who are in Christ Jesus today. It's not something reserved for us in heaven where like, yeah, I got all these blessings waiting for me, but now I got to live the rest of this life kind of on my own. No, he says today you have that ability in Christ. Look at all these blessings. In verse 4, we, we are found to be holy and blameless in love before God through Christ. We are adopted as God's children, it says in verse 5. In verse 6, it says that we are the beneficiaries of glorious grace that is lavished on us, given to us in abundance because we are in Christ. God just keeps pouring out grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. In verse 7, it tells us that in Christ we have redemption through his blood. We have value again. He has brought us back. He has, he has given us new life. He's given us a purpose. He goes, we've also received in Christ forgiveness for our trespasses. Man, we need forgiveness because we haven't stopped making foolish decisions. He goes on to say that in Christ, we gain knowledge and wisdom. 
of what his will is. Then it tells us here in verse 11 that we also have an inheritance. Something that is waiting for us after we die. Something that does fill us with hope. Something that we do look forward to. Something that even if everything here on earth gets stripped away because of my union with him, there's something waiting for me much greater than here on earth that can never be touched by anything here on earth that's waiting for me as I will spend eternity with him. And then this last one, in verse 13, it says that we were given the indwelling Holy Spirit. We were sealed with that. These are available today. Can you imagine living a life where you don't take advantage of these? Living a life every day where you don't take advantage of God's grace, his forgiveness, his wisdom. That you don't live in light of your forgiveness, that you don't live in light of being in the Son and now seen by Father as holy and blameless and yet live your life maybe riddled and burdened by guilt and shame of poor choice after poor choice after poor choice. In Christ, all of these spiritual blessings have been made available to us. And it's faith that makes these blessings operative and powerful in our lives. It's by continuing to choose to believe in God over everything I see in the world, everything my mind says, everything my body desires. No, I, I reject that and I believe. I place my faith, I entrust my life in Christ. And by remaining in him, by staying in him, by being a branch that doesn't disconnect but stays connected to the vine, these spiritual blessings begin to flow through me and spiritual fruit is produced. And I begin to experience a life that I could not produce on my own because I'm in him. Again, this is not something that we do. All these blessings here are not something that we now do on our own. It's not as if he's saying, because you believed, now you have new potential. So now go out and try to earn these things, gain these things, develop these things on your own. But he's saying, no, by just remaining in Christ, he will begin to do these things in you. Are are you tired of trying to do it all on your own? Are Are you tired of trying to be a good person? Are you, tired, are you tired of trying to, to be one that's seen as good and, and as holy and righteous, as one that has it all figured out? Are you, t- are you tired of trying to be the one that's seen as successful or intellectual? He's saying, you can set all that stuff aside and let me produce that in you. I can give you what you're never going to find in your own pursuits. Everything that is true for Christ is true for me because of my union with him. I know that some of you have been able to start to move around as our country opens up and and more of us are flying around and and maybe for work or vacation we're able to fly. And I don't know if you've ever been in the plane and, and right before you take off you're supposed to put your phone in airplane mode and you might text somebody or call somebody from your family and just let them know, hey, I'm taking off. And then you're up in the air and then you land wherever you're supposed to go and then you turn the phone off. Of course, you wait till you're fully in the gate and the plane is fully stopped before you turn your phone back on, right? But then you say, hey, I've landed. Did you really take off? Like, are you, are you the one flying? Did you, did you really land? Did you come down softly? No. But why can't we say that and it's true? It's because I'm in the plane. So everything that at that moment is true for the plane is true for me. The plane is taking off. I'm in the plane, so I'm taking off. 
The plane is five miles in the air flying through the clouds. So at that moment, I'm flying. And when that plane lands and comes to a smooth stop, I've landed. Because everything that's true for that plane is true for me. The same is true for us in Christ. Everything that is true for Christ is true for me because I am in him. Every spiritual blessing has been made available to you. The Bible says that God did not withhold his son from us. But he sent his son to die in our place, to be buried and to rise again. And now he's saying, why would I withhold anything from you? I've already given you my son. Every spiritual blessing now is available to those who will be in the son. And so our union with Christ helps us discover our truest identity. It grants us access to every spiritual blessing. Man, thus those two points alone should be like, thank you, Jesus. But there's one more that we see here. And that is this, union with Christ guarantees our future inheritance. Look back at me at verses 13 and 14. Paul writes this, In him you also were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and when you believed. The Holy Spirit is the down payment of our inheritance until the redemption of the possession to the praise of his glory. That word sealed is an important word in our understanding of what it means to be in Christ. He places his spirit in us and it says we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Warren Wiersbe in his commentary on Ephesians highlights what the significance is of this word sealed. A seal could mean a finished transaction, like a stamp of completion. I put the stamp on there and that shows that this has been done. And in Christ, he said in John, it is finished. Everything that needed to be done, all that wrath he had absorbed on the cross, those were his last words and he died. It is finished. Not as, all right, I've taken it this far, you take it the rest. No, it is finished. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That seal is a symbolic remembrance of that Christ has finished the work. A seal could also be seen as a mark of ownership. Perhaps you've owned cattle or perhaps you've been out into places where you see cattle around, but it's not uncommon to see uh, cattle that are able to be part of different pastures that roam around for certain cattle to have a brand. That brand is one of the things that helps uh, tell who its owner is. And they brand that animal so as different cattle are grazing similar pastures and it comes time to be able to take your cattle and do with it what you will, you can know which ones are yours and which ones aren't yours. The Holy Spirit is a seal upon us that says, we belong to God. We are in Him. A seal can also represent security and protection. You guys remember the story of Jesus when they put him in the tomb? It says that he sealed the stone that was guarding the tomb. And that was a kingly seal. That was saying, do not enter into this. And they placed guards there. And they said, this is protecting this so no one comes and steals the body of Jesus. A seal in that time was also something that could be placed on something that says, this is secure. This is protected. Don't touch it. That is true for you and for I. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. And in God's eyes, there's nothing that can get to us that he doesn't allow. He is our protection. He is our security. I don't have to do that all on my own. 
seal can also be something that points to the authenticity, the genuineness of something to be real, like a, a signature, like I'm attesting that this is actually true. The, so the Holy Spirit is that evidence to us and to others that we are in Christ, that we have truly believed in the gospel for our salvation, that the Holy Spirit has been placed inside of us and is at work in our lives. The Holy Spirit is an identifying mark for all those who are in him. But he says here it's also a down payment of an inheritance. In the King James Version, it uses the word earnest. If you've ever bought in a house, you know that you're supposed to, you oftentimes have to put down earnest money. This is a, a pledge that says, I'm going to buy this house and I'm going to give you a, a large sum of money, not a, just kind of a, a sum of money that doesn't have much value because I'm trying to get you to hold that house so that I'm buying it. And this is, this is the evidence that I'm serious and that I want this and that I'm going to come back and I'm going to pay you the rest of this money so that I can take possession of this. Paul uses this term here. It's a down payment. It's an earnest. The Holy Spirit is what he has given us now. And that indicates to us that this, he's serious about us. We are his. We are important. We are valuable to him. And it's, it's the thing that we trust in and know that because he has given us his Holy Spirit, we know he's going to come back for us and we're going to be his possession and we're going to be with him forever. What he started in Christ, he's going to complete in Christ when Christ returns and we are with him forever. And it's that reality that gives us hope that no matter what happens to us, no matter how hard life gets now, our future is secured in Christ. What we love about this earnest, there's no contingencies. There's no contingencies. He's not going to back out of that pledge. We are his. So throughout this first 14 verses of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul is just trying to share all the rich blessings that come from being in Christ. And he says to you today, if you are a believer, every spiritual blessing that he's listed out is available for you to use. And if you're here this morning and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus, you aren't a follower of him. You do not trust that he is who he said he is and that he did what he said he would do. The same offer is available to you. That today, if you are to believe, every spiritual blessing will be unlocked for you as well in Christ. The name Hetty Green might not mean anything to you, but if you lived in the early 1900s, you'd be very familiar with Hetty Green because she was known as the, the wealthiest woman in America. She had kind of started out in a wealthy family and had taken money that was given to her to kind of um, go buy a wardrobe so that she'd be more attractive to possibly find a husband that would be a suitor, took that money and said it started to invest it in real estate, began to grow. And she became a, a very, very wealthy woman. At the end of her life in, in the early 1900s, her, her uh, estate was uh, kind of valued at over $100 million. But what you don't know about Hetty Green, maybe, is that she was known as the great American miser. 
She was known to have all this wealth, and yet she wouldn't spend the money to heat her oatmeal. She ate cold oatmeal every day because she didn't want to spend the money to make it warm. There's a story that her son had an infection in his leg and ended up having that leg amputated because she was looking for a free clinic that could help and did not want to spend the money to help the infection. She had all of this wealth, and, and, and yet she lived as if she was poor. Now, if you were to know that about Hetty, and you were to witness that, and you were to know that she had all that wealth, and yet she lived like that, what would you say in loud, or maybe even say out loud if you weren't careful? What are you doing? Get a microwave. It's not that hard. All right? You'd be like, why are you doing that? Because at that point, it's not about saving for a rainy day, you know, you know, know what's going to happen. I mean, you have more wealth than you will ever spend in a lifetime. And yet, how many of us have the truth of this passage that says, in Christ, every spiritual blessing is now available to you today, and yet we live apart from that. Every spiritual blessing that you need to live your life and to experience the life that God has created you to experience, to experience the truest form of yourself, to be in him, to have all this hope, all this comfort, all this direction, all this wisdom, all this forgiveness, and yet you are saying, yeah, but I kind of like my oatmeal cold. Paul is saying what we would be thinking. Why would we do that? Being in Christ is not about earning a better life or being a better person. It's about receiving all of these spiritual blessings because of what Jesus did for you and for me. Being in Christ is not about doing more to try to prove it and to really show how thankful you are to God. It's about abiding in Him and that obedience is saying, God, I need more of you and less of me and I'm going to let you do in me that work that you want to do. I'm going to let you flow through me so that you will be glorified with my life. That's what it means to be in union with Christ is to abide. This week there's a a few ways that this has kind of hit me as I've been thinking about preaching this message and talking to you this morning. There were two things that really kind of came to mind is One is this, has this truth that's seen throughout all of the New Testament, this reality of the union with Christ and how that is truly the greatest benefit of the gospel is that we could be in Christ, unified with our creator forever. When was the last time I actually considered how awesome that was? When was the last time that I took time to consider what that should actually mean? When was the last time I took time to consider, is that how I'm living my life? In him, So this is my challenge this morning to you. As we wrap up, if you are a believer this morning, I hope this week you will take time to read this passage again and just spend five minutes just pondering what it means to be in union with Christ. If there's another favorite passage that you have that talks about being in Christ, take time to read that passage and just sit in silence and ponder for five minutes just five. Man, what does this mean? What does this look like? What is available to me in Christ? And then I want you to go tell somebody 
what came to mind as you spent time with the Lord, thinking about what it means to be in Him. If you're not in a relationship with Christ, I want to invite you to not leave today without coming and talking to me or one of our other pastors about what does it mean to have a relationship with Christ. I want to be in Him. I don't want to be apart from Him anymore. Because today, you can have that relationship with your Creator through faith in Jesus Christ. If you don't want to come talk to me, if that seems too embarrassing or too awkward to walk up to the front of the church after a service, talk to somebody as they're walking out. Hey, can you help me? Or if someone brought you today, say, hey, I, I, need, to, I need to talk to you about some things. Don't leave today with cold oatmeal. Every spiritual blessing is available to you today in Christ. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for the opportunity to to teach it. God, thank you for placing us back into communion with you through your son. God, thank you so much for allowing us to be unified in you. God, I pray this morning that we would take time to just think about what does it mean to be in Christ? And am I living my life apart from that? Or am I living my life in that? And if it, whatever the answer is, that I would continue to seek your strength and your help to be faithful to that. God, thank you for loving us. Thank you for placing us in your family. Thank you for all the blessings you've given us. Help us to live thankfully in light of that. We pray this in your son's name. Amen. Well, man, we are super thankful that you came this morning. Hopefully that's an encouraging word for you today. We've got some discussion questions on the screen. Uh, take time this week to talk to about this message with somebody else, share it with somebody else. We know there's a beautiful Sunday afternoon waiting for us out those doors. So you are dismissed. Thank you so much for being here. Worthy of every soul.